Welcome to the Huntivore Podcast, Episode 6. This is our second Chewing the Fat episode. Uh, we talk about freezer setups and chilling down field-dressed deer. No, things have changed here in Michigan to the recent regulation changes, so it's kind of gotten complicated. We also jump into our archery setups for the upcoming October season. Hope you enjoy. Thin layer of plastic just does not hold away the freezer very long. So Very good. Yeah. That seems like a great place to start. Dustin, what is your freezer setup? My freezer setup. Well, I have a, a triple freezer setup. Mm. So I have the no, I have a quadruple freezer setup. A quad. A quad. Uh two of them don't count. Cause one of them is a standard fridge and freezer that's, side by that side. Counts. That's that counts. That's the everyman fridge okay, so or the everyman freezer right there. So that's the everyman. And then there is the uh, downstairs man cave refrigerator that has, you know, the it's the mini fridge that has the tiny freezer that you can get like maybe three ice cubes in. Mm-hmm. I, got, I got that one. I find for the mini fridges and that uh, that little freezer. It holds Snickers candy spars. Ooh. Just perfect. Yeah. Because they are rock hard. It's like you get to gnaw on them when they come out of there. Yeah. There's there's your hot tip right there. I like that tip. Mine has served no purpose since I got it. The fridge literally exists just for beer and then like chip dip that I don't want to run upstairs. And that's where chip dip goes to die. So. <laughs> well, that's not. Either by ingestion or. <laughs> or. Or forgetfulness. <laughs> forgetfulness. Yeah. And so, and then there's the two cube chest freezers. They're, they're the smaller size, so they're not monsters. No, I I used to have one that was like that. What is that? Like the three? No, it's like a five cubic foot. I don't even know if it's five. Anyways, no more than five. Um, so one of them is, is the mainstay, and that one holds... All the deer, and then if I happen to get some other game, like my dad goes down to Georgia and does a pig hunt, and if he's successful, that one can hold. It can hold a well-boned-out deer and, and a pig pretty well, maybe a couple deer if you're stacking. And then there's the backup emergency freezer that's almost never plugged in. That, uh, that bad boy uh, is the... Uh, the for the great day or great season <laughs> occasion that's just there just in case. Hey, empty freezer space yes. is always a premium come yes. October, November. Now that I know this too, I uh, I, may, I may come to you and help if I ever yeah. if I ever ever take too much to fill into mine. Yeah, and in the so I've been toying with this idea of the one that hardly ever gets used. You can get a thermostat for the freezer. And turn it into a large chiller, and then I can quarter out a deer and put it in there. Quarter out, it'll probably fit two pretty easy if it's quartered out nice. And then I'll have not the full walk-in cooler, but it will be uh, the everyman poor man's cooler. That if you're quartered out, so I haven't. I was gonna do that last last fall, and it didn't happen. So I'm gonna do it this fall. <laughs> we'll see if it happens. What's your setup looking like, though, at home? I have a unique setup. Um, well, I, I don't think it's quite a quad. There are two refrigerators involved, one on the main inside, and that's usually full of stuff for the kids, 
It's also our our uh, microwave veggies. They have those little oh yeah steam. steamers. Yeah, steamers are beautiful. My my wife's all about those steamers. They are quick and easy, especially yeah. for kids. Um, so that that one's kind of out. I can get a few things in there. Uh, in the garage, we do have the garage refrigerator uh, for extra milk, the beer, the whatever doesn't fit in the inside and goes to the outside. Um, and that freezer is a good spot. I actually locate the prize cuts oh. in there. That's where the back straps go. That's where a lot of the staked out pieces go. They fit nicely in the door right there. Quick, easy access uh, for when we have guests and we're doing the the diplomacy thing. Uh, but I, I like to keep those almost in a, a protected area. Uh just where I know they're at. So yeah. we, we dig them in for So this is, this is hush hush knowledge. So when you come over <laughs> yeah, and you go sense. to the, when you go to the beer cooler, you can, or beer fridge, you can figure out where my, my backstraps are, are located. So it's, it's now full on summer. You, do you have inventory sitting in that, that spot right now or are you burn through it? No, I, I have a couple. I'm really good at holding that back. Yeah. I've got several backstraps. Still, still waiting. So you're a backstrap hoarder, is what you are. A bit. Yeah. Um, you gotta got to get over that. Well, I got really good with the other cuts. Oh, so yeah. that's been. That's well, I can appreciate that. Yeah. So saving them for definitely special occasions. Um, when I talk my date night menu, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you what happens with that. Um, but then I've got I got rid of the five. Five cubic foot, like you've got freezer. Yeah. The chest freezer, they're nice. They stay cold. Even if the power goes out, you leave the lid on, you get a good day, day and a half, and nothing's going to unfreeze. Those things are die hard. They sip away at electricity. I'm not knocking them. The only problem is is that you end up with freezer treasures. Yeah, I knew you were going to go <laughs> They go to the bottom. You're it- not going to find it. Who's got the time to dig out? The, yeah. You never had the space to fully unload it to get what you're looking for. That is the downfall of the chest freezer. You, you really legitimately cannot fully, like, you can't stack one to the brim. Because once you stack one to the brim, you've now taken away your shuffling space. And once you've taken your shuffling space away, you're just hose. It's just like whatever's on top is what you're going with because... You've now taken away your ability, unless you're gonna like have some sort of long process of <laughs> putting stuff on the floor, <laughs> and uh, it's a disaster. So yeah, there's definitely like whatever the limit it says on on the chest freezer, you're really shooting for like a sixty to seventy percent full is your is your max line on that. There should be a fill line actually on that. I think <laughs> they just mark it yeah. somehow. Um, but so I went with the upright. I found this on was it Facebook uh, Marketplace? I think I found it there. I didn't find it on Craigslist. Anyway, guy was getting rid of an upright freezer for a hundred bucks. That's a deal. It is. So I went and picked that up right away. Um, and it it has the shelves in it. Now those also innately have a downfall they have the the filament goes through the the shelf so the the filament the um 
where the freon runs. Okay. So that actually coils through really through the shelf and so you have a a shelf sitting there and if you get a a basic one there's no front rail. And what you end up with is you have to stack things level or you create the avalanche effect uh. where things settle, you open up the door and they 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 ride out on you. Or you're you're stacking in a way that inevitably the sides start to come down and the middle is coming up and you create this dome and you can't you can't ba- you end up balancing things on top but they don't stay it's just a mess. Yeah, I can appreciate that cuz the side-by-side freezer refrigerator has it's on a smaller scale but super aggravating avalanche effect so I <laughs> I feel the pain of that. Yeah. My uh, way around that is that I went to the dollar store and I got these Tupperware uh, containers and they have little holes. I think I got, I think they were in quartz. Like there was a bigger one that was like, or like it can fit. I know the one, the bigger ones can fit two gallons. Maybe they were in quartz, maybe they're in gallons. But anyway, I can put two milk jugs side by side in those. And those fill in the top shelf. And then I have shorter ones, same, I would say, floor space, but they're several inches shorter. And you can then layer, or you then slide those into the shelves. So depending on how much shelf space you have on that particular shelf, as in vertical space, I just got it as close as I could. And I took the full load of what I would throw in there and divided it amongst these uh, bins. You, I'm sure somebody on Pinterest has figured that out. I just happened to come across a guy on YouTube that was, that was doing this and it, it literally almost doubles the amount of space because you're filling up a bin and that's normal airspace that you couldn't balance on. So you've essentially built miniature chest freezers that you stick inside of your vertical freezer. Bingo. But or you can manage them. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like the it's like the on the chest freezer those drop down yeah. baskets. So you sit on top. Well, I've just taken that drop down basket to the nth degree. So where the normal layman will only get in one deer. I'm putting in two or three into this spot. I know a guy in the logistics business that like queue that has can write a program to cube out trailers semi-tractor trailers I, w- <laughs> I wonder if we can really max out that freezer space by coming up with like, <laughs> is an okay. algorithm yeah we can do yeah we can we can really like geek this thing out my also my backup backup is a definite cheat um with my my family and my parents owning a poultry farm uh we actually have a a drive-in cooler that's cheating for for turkeys when we uh when we bring them in uh we have got large racks that that they're staying in and then you have a smaller rack that on a hot october day if i get one if i can quickly gut him out and i can uh get the hide off i can tuck them in on the back side it's it's one of those things that i try not to do yeah. All the time. Yeah, but. I feel like that should be like against the rules. Like, no, like you're not allowed <laughs> to even have that. Like, that's not a thing. 
it uh, it comes in a pinch, <laughs> really, really good. I was feeling good about my backup freezer, but you got the backup walk-in cooler, industrial size. Not even walk-in. You can drive yeah, drive a, cooler. You can drive like a full trailer. Drive-in cooler. There's also the freezer side that, yeah, I can blast chill uh, whatever my deer is down in a matter of, instead of hours, we're looking at minutes. You suck. <laughs> Again, that's only in the emergency. In the emergency. Yep. In in fact, I was told sternly that uh, that that time might be <laughs> coming to an end uh, that I can use it. I do have uh, it again. It's on the on the far horizon, um, much like your aspiration of creating a a walk in or a drop in freezer or excuse me chiller chiller. Yeah, that's really what it is. Chiller. I I'd like to build a walk in uh, chiller in my garage. And I've got a few pieces of implement that I'm going to be working with. Um, I'm working with an obsolete, as far as industrial goes, cooling unit. It's actually for a refrigerator, or for a refrigerated space. Runs on 110. Uh, I forget how many amps uh, that it pulls, but it's a, it's a hefty piece of equipment. It's, what what year do you would you say this thing rolled off the assembly line? I want to say somewhere between the 50s and the 60s. 18 or 19? 19. Okay. It's, uh, I've, they're not I've skimping on, yeah, they're not skimping on weight <laughs> with this thing. It is all, I mean, it's pretty much cast. It's yeah. just, but it works. So I can't, I can't fault it for there. Um, back in the 40s, my family used to incubate, uh, the poultry that would then come in. Uh, and then they would raise to slaughter, and since then it's become such a, a an industry on its own that, that was they were done incubating long ago. But we've had a couple incubators that have all become tool cribs in the shop that <laughs> repurpose. Yeah, exactly. They just catch stuff. Um, but the insulation on the inside of that is real cork. Like this is a legitimate old school style uh, refrigerator. Yeah, or yeah. You don't incubator. See- you don't see a whole lot of cork usage other than like some sort of potential fancy building product that you know you're going eco on or something. You're not seeing it in the industrial sector a whole lot. No. No. This is this is eco before it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it holds temperature very nice. Uh it was heat for the um for the poults and the and the eggs, but now it can be transferred into keeping it cold so the lofty goal is to transport that into my uh the huntivore shed at the at the house and have this in the back corner that i could have a whole deer basically hanging uh in on a rail right there um right where i'm gonna cut it up and that's the goal Uh, it's deep enough that i could potentially get three full deer in there now, if it's a big old buck, knock on wood, that maybe that'll be one of them. It might only be two deer, but there's enough enough place in there to at least chill one down, especially getting it out of the field. Yeah, two at a time, like, that's a real reasonable, like, upside. And if, if three at a time is the max, like, I'm sure you could make it work <laughs> if you found yourself three deep. 
well that's nice to be able to go that far i feel like you are going to be able to accommodate whatever amazing adventure you may have out in the deer woods by being able to go for sure too deep maybe three yes um just help helping out the next guy you know someone runs into a problem where they have this deer and they don't have a place for it to go i was really thinking that's probably where the three would come in is that uh you know, a, a co-host of mine would, would smoke a deer and not be able to get it cooled down. <laughs> That's and, never uh, happened before. <laughs> Every deer I ever take. <laughs> it's 90. Guess what? I got a deer. If <laughs> if I'm sweating during do- during deer season, I know Dustin's going to get yeah. something. <laughs> Here we go. Did it again. How many bags of ice should I get? Before we continue on with the rest of our discussion... Due to the recent changes in Michigan regulations to combat CWD, or chronic wasting disease, what can and cannot be transported over county and state lines has been changed. Please check out the regulations on transporting carcasses, bone, hide, and meat, along with checking in your deer in your hunting areas. We as hunters have a responsibility to the animals we pursue and the people we feed. I believe it's page 39 in the Michigan Deer Hunting Regulations Digest. Hey, (laughs) the shoving the bags in the cavity, that that helped cool it down, didn't it? It worked. We saved all of the meat by doing that uh, cavity shoving. Boy, it was warm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like... That's a quick little trick that you can do is, you know, just keep the bag closed of all your ice. You've already gutted out your deer. You got to get it in the truck. You got to go someplace with it. Take two bags of ice and just shove it up into the body cavity. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And um, splitting the the hocks apart and getting that bag up in between there, because you've got so much meat in in those back legs mm -hmm. that is holding the heat in there did that and that was super it was that was your suggestion that was super helpful and i know it worked because that meat came out real nice by doing that and if you just have it in the cavity it's just not quite enough but yeah two bags one in the cavity and one up in there between the the back legs split that open that'll that'll save you the emergency run back from the two-hour drive down the highway in 90 degree sun. Yeah. The you know, people get nervous about like the direct contact between ice and meat. You can you can freezer burn stuff um doing it that way. And the same thing with water. You can kind of like waterlog the meat a little bit. If you you know you shove it into a cooler of yeah. just ice, you can kind of don't do that because I've done that too. Quarter it out. You got a bunch of ice. It's half water, half ice. You throw it in there. You think you're good. Yeah. It's not a great scenario. The water starts building up, you know, in between the the layers of uh, silver skin, and it just starts turning a different color, and you lose a bit of quality. So yeah, it, you it really pick... bleaches out, almost like a gray look yeah. on the outside. Um. What what does prevent that from happening? Throwing it in the cavity is that you've got that um, that membrane wall on the inside that protects um, the muscles from coming in contact with the organs. But that layer also is that protective layer, you know, that runs on the inside of the the rib cage there, 
that will actually prevent the meat from getting water to it. It's an impervious layer. And at the same time, it'll also, that'll get cold. That has the contact, not the actual meat. Yeah. So keeping um, that slick layer, you know, when you open up your deer and you pull out those um, inside tenderloins, you can see that it's it's everywhere. It's just a membrane that um, just separates basically the outside world from the inside. And that's a, you use that to your advantage. Yeah. And if, if you are going to, it's hot out and you have the opportunity to skin it out and quarter it out and you've got the chastised plastic as your friend, if you wrap that thing up in plastic and just keep, I mean, the ice is one thing, but the water seems to me to be the, the bigger culprit in running, uh, meat in a direction you don't like. So mm-hmm. I've had that where I've just bagged it up and, in plastic and it's been able to keep it in a much better shape i got another theory too um that if you're you're really in a pinch and you're wanting to pack as much ice around around the animal as well um keeping the hide on yeah it keeps the the fat that's there and that hair is an insulating um layer that's going to keep the heat in but if you've already opened up that cavity, you've already split those hocks and you split that pelvis right down the middle that, um, that that heat is going to then dissipate and you get ice in there. Um, keeping that hide on protects the outside of the meat as well. So as it's riding along in your truck, when you, if you wrap it in that plastic, um, keeping that hide on, keeps water as it as water is now created because it is going to be a hot animal yeah you are going to get some some ice loss that's gonna keep the the water from now going and leaching out to the outside and now getting attacking those major muscle groups that we're wanting to save um putting a slit maybe on the outside of it to to just let dissipate some heat might be an okay thing but at the same time maybe transporting with hide on is a is a good thing yeah, if I think hide-on is definitely a good thing if you're not able to get the whole thing in the cooler. And if you're not in extreme temperatures, I think you can get, and you're not going a long way. So I think there's a difference between having to travel potentially eight hours in a vehicle on the highway with, a, with an animal, where in that case, um, you may end up really fighting a battle of trying to keep the ice in the chest cavity and keep the ice on the hocks from staying in position and not melting out. So I think it all depends. But in, in the scenario that I had where I only had to go two hours, it, I mean, it was, it was perfect. Mm-hmm. The nights help you too, that maybe you're at camp and it's hot during the day, but it does dip down at night. Keeping it in shade is a good thing. Yeah, shade's big. If you're hanging it up at camp, yeah, making sure that air is getting past it, dry, you know, allowing the the moisture to be wicked off as opposed to moisture being created by just holding it in a big tub of ice. Um, that that's always a good thing. I I wish there was more of those days, especially in October, where it got cold and stayed cold. The past couple Octobers have been really really warm yeah um but you know it's kind of hard to do a buck pole when it's 75 degrees out 
and you, you want to put your buck up there for, I don't know, maybe yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes. 10 okay, minutes. it's down, guys. I got to go get it cut up. Yeah. Here's a picture. Time to Hold go. on to that. See you later. <laughs> I think those guys over at uh, Deer Hunter Podcast, they did a digital buck pole, which is probably going to be the way to, think, way to go, especially if you want to cut that thing up right away. Yeah. Way to get it done. Mm-hmm. You take You simply take a picture of you and your deer and you post it and i think they've got some some prizes i'm not sure if they're going to do that again this year we'll have to wait scan and see. Over. yeah anyway i thought that was a really really cool idea yeah <laughs> i will be taking out my 10 point crossbow into the woods is my uh archery tool of choice and my compound will stay is a um decoration on my wall is it's going to be retired and I will no longer become incredibly agitated by the uh, poor performance that I put behind it, which I know is entirely me and not the bow itself. But yes, I'm going, there's no Western trips this year. I'm going Michigan only deer season. So the law states I'm allowed to use my crossbow and that's what I intend to use. Sounds good. Uh, let me put the disclaimer out there that Huntivore neither uh, looks down upon nor yeah. also glorifies crossbow users. We are all out there doing the same thing. This is merely me taking a, a stab at Dustin. Yes, and I don't really care because <laughs> it is an efficient tool I feel comfortable with. Hey, when you got to get groceries, I feel the crossbow, if the compound is Going to the store and picking up groceries, checking out, and going home, the crossbow is like using the self-checkout lane. You think it's, so? It's all the same process, <laughs> but it's just one step quicker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely something to it. The The learning curve on being able to shoot one, uh, there's no doubt about it that you can set somebody up at 20 yards and make them really efficient really quickly, but... I feel like there's a whole lot of uh, element that goes into a deer hunt besides how fast and what goes into a 20-yard shot at the range. <laughs> so exactly, it works for me, and uh, I think it works for the majority of the archers in, in at least Michigan anyway. But, Nick, I know you're you're not going to be in the crossbow crew no, this I'm, year. No, I'm not done with you and your crossbow. Oh, though. all right. What do you want to know? I want to know... Um, like we were talking earlier, that the potential for a seventy-yard whitetail shot, yeah, is there. Um, couple criteria: you live in the state of Michigan, yeah. But Seventy-yard shots don't always occur, especially up in the North Woods. That's a very rare situation. At the yeah. same time, um, with as quick as the deer do move, seventy yards is a very long. Yeah. A lot can happen in that 70 yards. I know if you pick equipment off the shelf in, I guess, 2018, there are some pretty fast crossbows out there. But I like to point out to the fact that if you look at a lot of the crossbows that are out in use right now and you throw some math at it, it's about the same amount of weight and about the same amount of speed as the compound bow so sure at the range when you're sitting there and nothing's moving 
the fact that you don't have hand torque and some of these other anchor point issues you can replicate shots but in the real world where that deer is moving from 71 to 73 yards you've now wounded a deer and that in my mind is not a responsible archery shot i went from uh shooting the compound bow to the crossbow and my effective range or what i use is my i don't i don't feel comfortable past 40 yards with what i'm shooting just because there's too many different elements that go on that arrow is still dropping at uh you the know the rate of gravity yeah it's dropping at the rate of, of gravity and i know i don't have the fastest crossbow out there but um there's just too much chance out beyond the 40 yard for my for my feeling so i know some of the manufacturers out there are talking about 100 yard shots which doesn't help uh the person that's already upset for whatever reason <laughs> for the person that has the crossbow but uh yeah 70 yards with any archery equipment in my mind is questionable i know you can go out there and take a shot with a 270 at probably half a mile but is that like sure is that a responsible thing to do uh i i would say no that's where where i I was going to go with the question you've already answered it is i I wanted to know what your ethical range is that's what i was going to call it is the ethical range that you feel absolutely confident that you're going to put that shot right where that shot needs to go yeah um 40 yards is my mark i've not taken uh deer past 40 yards with uh any archery equipment so that's my range well, good. That's what I wanted to know, and I'm glad <laughs> to know that you're still being uh, responsible with your with your shots out there. Yeah, just because. I mean, well, I guess I could I could arc one in at a hundred with my uh, trad life gear too, but <laughs> probably not going to go so well. <laughs> That's not going to do well. <laughs> but the uh, the compound's retired for you, huh? Yeah, she's circa 2003, I think, and. It's just time. The technology I know is is caught up, and I'm not. I'm definitely not done with the compound world. I plan on doing more uh, Western mule deer hunts and spot and stock stuff in my future. So I'm gonna be upgrading the equipment, and I think just got to get it over with. So yeah. so this year I know I'm definitely going crossbow only, and then I'm gonna be shopping around here. Hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to shop it around here after that. It'll, it, I think they only run around $100 these days, right? Oh, if that. Yeah, if that. That's decked out. Yeah. <laughs> Mag, Maggie's okay with that. Yeah, she, it's fine. We're going to edit this out in post. Yeah, we'll edit that out. Um. So so what's your setup looking like and what, you know? Gotcha. I know you shoot out to 100 there at uh, some of the boing archery challenge thing so are you run me through your setup and run me through what you feel like is your range because i know you do a lot of shooting and some long distance stuff yeah just just recently um i finally went ahead and bought i think was is a modern compound bow i uh i was in your territory i have a martin bangle uh circa 2000 (laughs) yeah uh Right around 2002, 2003, and you know, granted that was the year I, we graduated. It's <laughs> she's how I hate my bow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, she's she's tired, but uh, after 
after thinking about it, I might pull her out and do some uh, 3D range stuff with with that bow. Make that the dedicated 3D range. But the hunting rig is now a 2016 uh, Quest built here in Michigan by the old folks over there at G5. They do a great job. It is a uh, Quest Forge. I believe it's got 315 uh, IBO. Is it IBO? IBO is the fast one. Gotcha. So, yeah, that's like the max top end that you're not shooting. Right. Because you're at like 5,000 grain with all your FOC. We'll get to my my missiles here in a minute. Uh, But, yeah, it it shoots very well, Um, draws back very smooth, has... uh, has a nice anchoring when it when those cams roll over you just have a valley that it just locks it in uh i i fed right into the marketing on it and just said in quotations old reliable that's that's where i want to be right there that's uh, a good i that's pulled a- <laughs> back and it it just sat there and whispered to me like take your time and yeah, i can't i can hold it there for forever now that forever may be 30 seconds but it it can be held there, yeah. and you can still get off a really good shot. Um, I'm shooting uh, what I feel is a really heavy arrow, especially for the the white tails around us. Uh, and yeah, I've I drank the Ashby uh, Kool Aid, and I've gone for a high FOC. I'm shooting 340 spined FMJs from Easton. Those are full metal jackets. Mm. I've added a right offset on the fletchings. I'm running a three fletch on the back, and I have as I would say probably a one and a half to two degree offset where I have the front leading edge leading to the right. And what that's going to do is it's going to create hopefully spin in the arrow to the right side. Okay. Up front, I'm running a 125 grain fixed blade. Uh, it's actually a two blade broadhead with a bleed with a small little bleeder um, on either side. So it basically has four cutting edges, but two major ble- or, uh, blades, and they have a single bevel. That's only where one side, the right side, is ground down. So is that a is that a hollow point or is that like a full copper core or how does that work? Because <laughs> I know you have the full metal jacket shaft, so I'm just trying. to... Oh, gotcha. So the full metal jacket shaft is a carbon arrow, uh, which is known for its straightness and its durability, and it's wrapped in a thin, I would call it veneer of aluminum. And <laughs> an aluminum veneer. Aluminum <laughs> veneer on the outside. And that provides rigidity and you get quite a bit of weight in these shafts. Uh the 340 spine that I'm running, and that's how much deflection is uh added to the arrow when it's been fired, it actually flexes, and so there's a scale on um how far they will flex. And so I'm running a 340. And the grains per inch in in archery, we use a lot of grains as our yep. our, our unit. And I'm running eleven point three grains per inch. And so I'm roughly just in that alone. I'm upwards in like the four hundreds. 
as and far just as the shaft and just the shaft. No, wait, I'm right, right around the 300. Okay, and that, just the shaft. That That's makes better. sense. Yeah. Again, I'm the PE teacher, not the yeah, not yeah. the math teacher. That's fine. <laughs> Up front, it, with that with that broadhead, it's right it's right around 125 grains, and I've inserted a brass insert. The insert is glued into the front of the shaft, and that gives you the threading that you can then put in your broadhead or your field point, whatever tip you're choosing yep. to use. And they've got weighted ones. Well, I've added a hundred grain. Nope, back up, back up. It's a seventy-five, 75 grain still uh, up front. It's a big bump. So with the combined one hundred or. 125 and the 100 or the 75 brass it gives me a total of 200 grains up front so 200 plus the threes something yeah we're we're running right around five so five 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 twenty five thirty 530 area because you also include the in the total weight you had have to add the fletchings yeah I did go to a lighted knock too this year. Oh, so that's an extra fifteen grains, or is it something less? like that. It's like yeah. ten to fifteen. I haven't haven't scaled those out yet. But uh, yeah, these uh, these missiles, yeah, they, they work great. Um, I used a similar setup last year. This is the first year that I've gone with the weighted insert. But on a so you bumped up seventy five grains from what you were doing last year, essentially, and a correct. few other tweaks here and there. Yes, and I had on the dough last year. I had full pass through, actually straight through a a rib, just went right through it. It didn't even look like it slowed the arrow down. Yeah, it just it solidified that you know what. So what if it's overkill? I'm looking for a kill period. I want yeah. it fast. You I want, want two. Quick. Two holes. Yeah. I want this thing to. I watched. I watched her basically walk off and fall over, and it was the. It was so nice to not have to have to track it, track the animal. Yep. Granted, it was a perfect shot. The I attribute that to the practice that I put into the whole thing. Um, you know, stepping up and doing the all year. I I put it to that that it was the the shakes the moment of truth type feelings that you get um they were able to be controlled by no means am i an absolute perfect shot and that was about 10 yards from my ethical range as you i'm i'm looking at 40 as my ethical if i put the range finder out there and it's 41 yeah it ain't ain't happening but that was at an even 30 and that's the farthest deer i've taken to date is at 30 yards yeah and that at least in in the Michigan woods or uh, anywhere where you have thick cover and you have a lot of foliage in bow season, you're setting yourself up like you're looking to put that animal within uh, a certain range. And for me, I'm looking to put that animal within a 20-yard range for me. So when I'm putting up my setup, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the 20-yard shot. So whether whatever I'm taking in the woods, I would I would scale that back if I was in there with a longbow, but that's kind of what I'm looking looking to do. So if it's out there at 40, it's gone out past where I was attempting to put myself in anyways and much further than that in most of my setups. It's just I'm not even hardly I can't even find an opening. So Exactly. The temptation is gone. By the time you see the deer, it's already 20 to 15. Like, yeah. oh, it's right there. Yeah. 
Um, the for fun archery that I've uh, jumped into as well is I have gone to the traditional side. Um, I've kind of put the gas, the gizmos and gadgets behind me on at least this side and gone full traditional. Trad life. Trad life. I, uh, I found a reflex deflex longbow and it's at 45 pounds at 28 inch draw. My draw is like 20, 26 on this particular bow. Okay. I, I'm short. My arms are short. Yeah. I can make up for that in the compound bow because I can pull um, heavier weight and not have a problem because yep. of my frame. But at the same time, I don't get that power stroke. And that really starts to show, especially in the traditional world where I'm really having to, to pull as, as much as I, or as far as I can, um, but at the same time maintaining really good form. This piece of equipment, that longbow, it's, uh, like I said, reflex, deflex. It, the string does not touch the risers, which makes it a longbow. Long yeah, from a recurve. Yep. But it does have a slight outward turn as a recurve does. That has a dramatic turn back, and this just has a slight um, curvature. But it has really exasperated, really, like, shows you where your mistakes are yeah i i picked it up and you know at first i had to almost relearn what i was doing um my only effective range on or i mean it was even just trying to hit foam uh with this piece of equipment i went from january to may just really diving into getting as good as i could with this thing and i'm now i've established somewhat of a a decent group in my book i can take all the arrows and put them onto the bag target i don't have any that are hitting dirt anymore uh at least i try not to and then i get sometimes i can group them in a three inch group and then other times it's a 15 inch pizza plan you know it's uh it really makes you work on your form but then when i set that down pick up the compound it's it's almost a, a trainer at that point that now when I pull that compound, everything is so much easier as far as there's the lead off, there's a sight, there's a level bubble. <laughs> it's, it, it, you know, a lot of that has been added to you to try and take out the human element. So when you can put the human element into your shooting and practice and become sufficient, taking that back out, it's almost like a, a trainer. Yeah, the... The discipline translates into the compound, and the compound technology helps you uh, do things that just aren't physically possible with the other piece of uh, more frustrating but uh, fun traditional equipment. Yeah, I know the the hardcore side of me wants to say, "Oh, I'm going with the the longbow this year out into the deer woods." Yeah. Um, but when I picked it up in January, I told myself that I am dedicating an entire year of just practice, of just get to know this piece of equipment before I take it out there. I would put my effective range at the deer having to lick the arrow. Yeah, yeah. mine's actually inside of that 
<laughs> so I would still, I might pull the shot or something. So yeah, so I stays in the little yellow case. So this year it will not be joining me in the woods. However, that uh, that goal stands for for next year. It's a it's a lofty, it's a romantic style of of goal. But at the same time, I'm uh, I'm being smart with it. Yeah. I want to be ethical first. Uh, if I'm I'm going in for groceries, I want this to be quick. I want this to be good. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw a 500 plus grain through one and yeah. have it all be over with. Yeah, and I mean, worst case scenario, you're having a lot of fun with the bow and getting more proficient with the tool that you do plan to take in the woods. So, isn't isn't this pastime? Isn't this hobby? Isn't this what we're doing right now supposed to be fun? Yes, it is supposed to be fun. Gotcha. So that's. That's yeah. what I'm doing with that is we're going out and we're having fun yeah. with it. It's so easy to uh, turn it into something else. But, yes, if it if it ceases to be fun, then you should probably cease to stop or to, to be doing it. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's been fun doing this. Uh, we're rolling on uh, a good time here. Dustin, tonight, what are your main takeaways? My main takeaways are... Uh, one, the reason that I cannot shoot traditional archery is purely because I had the wrong arrow. <laughs> uh, two, that it's a whole lot of fun to shoot all kinds of different, uh, pieces of equipment, despite, uh, maybe some deficiencies and three, there's a whole lot for me to learn yet in the world of tweaking and adjusting and perfecting the setup of archery those are my three what about you uh my three is that you can have something that's out of date but that doesn't mean it can't be out of use with practice with uh with upkeep even the uh the 2003 that's hanging over there on the wall can come off (laughs) it can it can uh number two is that uh, just us alone here, we've covered three different styles of archery, and there's a whole world out there of archery that we could continue to dive into or find people to, to talk about. I I have a, a piece of traditional equipment, and then there's I don't know how many different kinds of, of equipment out there for traditional. You have a compound bow, but at the same time, the market is now being flooded with I don't know how many different kinds of crossbows that are out there yeah. and there's there's an air bow there's the air bow <laughs> we could do a whole season on that no there can never be no. a season with an air bow right, we'll leave air bow describe the, the air bow dustin the air bow um looks like something that arnold schwarzenegger would have in uh probably man, any movie that he ever did <laughs> in the 90s it's and uh it is a beastly device that will accelerate an arrow <laughs> with air <laughs> it's basically an air rifle yeah with an arrow shoved in the end of it yeah that's efficiently yes that is what the air bow is i don't yeah that's the air bow <sighs> yeah that'll be a whole episode yeah we can talk about that was a derailer that was a derailer that made this not fun <laughs> <laughs> uh did i get I got two of mine in. I got one more. You got one. You got one more to go. I got one more to go. We got between the both of us. We have a lot 
of refrigeration and freezer units. We do. I feel like every hunter has a unique setup of refrigeration, and that could be a whole topic on itself is talking about refrigeration, chilling, and just coming to mind, dry aging. Have you ever dry aged a piece of uh, wild game there, Dustin, be it uh, small game, venison, anything? Intentionally? Intentionally. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Have you left something long enough in your refrigerator that it has dry aged, Dustin? Yes. Yes, I have. (laughs) Uh, I believe that white and green mold is okay. Black is what you want to stay away from. That's what I hear. That'll be be my final uh, (laughs) point there. Uh, So, yeah, we're going to wrap this up. Have a good one. See you later. For any questions and comments, you can find us at Facebook and Instagram by searching for Huntivore. Also, if you want to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, that's much appreciated. Until next time, keep your knives sharp.